details and dates for not one but two Disneyland resorts, Universal Hollywood's reopening begins, and which favorite Disney ride is being petitioned for a major retheme? That and more, all on today's Park Hop. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Great Park Hop. My name is Julian James, and continuing to join us live from the Hall Cave, where Halloween costume planning has officially begun, the man, the myth, the legend, Henry Hall. Hey! Each week we get together to discuss the latest and greatest theme park news, happenings, and burning topics from the lands of Disney, Universal, and beyond. Before launching into things, we always like to note that Henry works at the Walt Disney Company. As always, though, his opinions are fully his own. Henry, how you doing, man? Doing okay. Making making do. Yeah. yeah. Man, still, uh, what are we on, like week 3,000 of Shelter in Place still? Yeah, it's been been too long, unfortunately, but uh, but we will endure. Oh, man, all of this theme park news in terms of reopenings and at least in Orlando we've got parks that are opening it's uh it's really getting me itching to to get outside and get on some uh rides and get down main street and just just start uh getting into it man yeah hopefully i mean a lot of these parks are are announcing their uh their openings and stuff so hopefully they get no more uh shutdowns oh that would be i would be devastated I know I'm not the only one, but man, it would be, you imagine if, uh, if before, uh, before mid July hits before July 11th hits, it's just like, sorry, we're going to have to push back because we've got another spike in Corona. Oh, that would be brutal. Terrible, man. Well, we are going to get into all of that news in a second, but really one of the big news stories that was, that was making its way around all sorts of mainstream media and certainly within the the Disney fandom circles, Splash Mountain. It's getting a little heat at the moment. Perhaps you've heard, Henry. So there's been a change.org petition that's been slowly building some momentum here. It's asking Disney to retheme Splash Mountain to Princess and the Frog because of Splash being based off of those animated sequences from Song of the South, which has, of course, been all but disowned by Disney. And with the feeling in the air being around civil unrest and and social change this is this is something that's popped up it seems like every few years uh something like this is is starting to get discussed again and and in the news but certainly it makes sense that now is the time that it's going to happen uh again but just to give at least a little background on song of the south or at least where it stands with Disney now. Uh, the last statement on the film was in 2010, which now former CEO Bob Iger stated that there wasn't any plan to release it on home video, and he found it, quote, antiquated and, quote, fairly offensive. Um, so just want to set the base, at least, before we start getting into it, of where Disney's stance is on the film. And clearly that seems to be their their stance still. It's not on Disney Plus or anything, um, anything like that. And so as of Saturday night, anyway, had almost 20,000 signatures on this change.org petition. So it's not something that's through the roof yet, but it's definitely, like I said, starting to pick up steam. But really, though, Henry, 
I want to hear your thoughts on this. And I'm curious if you agree with me that Disney should just lean even harder into Song of the South. Bring back that tar baby. Am I right? <laughs> oh, I definitely do not agree with that. <laughs> uh, no, I think uh, I agree with the petition. Uh, I think doing uh, a Princess and the Frog uh, a revamp of the ride makes a lot of sense because it doesn't make sense that they have a ride that they for a uh, based off of a movie that they've basically kind of disavowed at this point. I mean, the movie has never been released on home video here in the U S you, you can right. get it in Asia and Europe um, in its unaltered format. And even like, I guess they do have parts of it that, will show that they have released on video before, um, but they've never released the whole movie here in the U.S. And I guess... Uh, yeah, I think it was like 2000 that the... That even in Europe, 2000 was the last release mm -hmm. that, uh, that came out on home video. Yeah, and then uh, I think sometime... They were showing it, I guess, on Disney Channel for a while, but it was altered, and I think that stopped around 2000 as well. But it's like, um, if you, I mean, you have like a move, uh, ride based off of a movie, you're, you're afraid to release on a uh, home video. I'm kind of surprised the ride was ever made to begin with. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I think, I think doing the princess and frog, uh, revamp makes a lot of sense because they can, reuse some of the stuff it's still kind of based in the south so y you don't have to do a complete rework of a lot of it but um at least people can go and they can ride it because you're basically going to have like generations of people who are riding this ride and don't know what it's what it's based off of and then you trying to explain it to your kids like well it's based off of this movie that had really racist uh, over, uh, parts in it so they <laughs> won't release it on home video and that's why you don't know anything about it and it's like uh, yeah so yeah i mean there's the way that i look at it is sort of there's the there's the conversation around the ride itself should it should we still in this day and age have a ride that references some, uh, you know, a, a movie that, as you pointed out, is is not even considered part of the Disney vault anymore, really? It's, it's sort of been shoved to the side in the hopes that people will forget about it. Um, and, I mean, I don't like getting too much into the conversation specifically around Song of the South, if only because that could probably be its own podcast. And in fact, there is, uh, there is uh, a fantastic podcast called You Must Remember This from Katrina Longworth, who did a, an incredible job covering the history of Song of the South and and even ended. She did. She focused like a full season of her podcast. It was something like eight episodes just on 
the Song of the South, its inception, taken all the way to the history of Splash Mountain. So she, she certainly is much more knowledgeable and could do a better job of of breaking down Song of the South than I could. But anyway, it's like, the, so right, we've got the the ride itself and what it's based on. There is the re-theme kind of portion of it. Like, well, okay, what would the appropriate re-theme be? And then there is, of course, the backlash and and hesitancy that you get from people when you start even having this conversation, right? So, um, so I mean, even just looking at, like, let's say, let's just assume that this is a retheme that's going to be happening, that that would happen, not saying it would, but let's just assume for a second that it would. Uh, I mean, I definitely agree that Princess and the Frog probably would be the best fit. Would you, would you say that's the case as well? Yeah, because, I mean... It's they have like uh all the stuff is like set up around the south and uh and I guess uh, technically like New Orleans could easily kind of you know you have the swamps and stuff in the area so I think and it's you, right next to New Orleans Square at Disneyland anyway right like yeah it, it fits right in there and it it kind of it it fits into where it's at in really all of these locations. So it's at three locations, Disneyland, Walt Disney World, and Tokyo Disneyland. You you certainly could do that, and it's not like it would stand out as being misplaced. Oh, for sure. And then you have, um, I mean, like, it, like they have, like, the the alligators in it so you can still have alligators and you have the 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 uh lightning bugs so you can still have like lightning bugs around so they wouldn't they could save money at least on doing that using that as the retheme yeah i uh i agree with that i think the only so the only sticking point i have in terms of thinking of a retheme um and in terms of it being Princess and the Frog is probably one of the most iconic aspects of Splash Mountain as it is today. And this is the case in all versions of it in all languages is zippity Doodah. Like that is, I mean, it transcends Splash because it is a, it is a song from the movie that did win an Academy Award and was used throughout different Disney products, whether they be, kind of uh, packages on Disney Channel or sing-alongs or whatever. So, I mean, it does have a close association with Disney product. And I don't know, now it's been it's been a little while since I've rewatched Princess and the Frog, but, um, but off the top of my head, there isn't another song that I feel like would replace it in a way that would come even close to being as memorable, if not iconic, right? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely, I can't think of any off the top of my head. And that's probably goes to your point is that there aren't really as many memorable songs from it. And you are right. The uh, Zippity Doodah is a, a very iconic song uh, considering <laughs> the, <laughs> everything else surrounding it uh right yeah i mean to, to again like it, it it's hard to separate the two entirely uh the movie and the ride i mean you know zippity doodah and this kind of goes into this kind of goes into the trouble of uh how disney looks at it and and again like 
they uh, certainly aren't comfortable with the movie. So, you know, you were saying that you're a little surprised. It's like, to a certain extent, I am too when you when you make that connection. But you know, one of th- this is sort of this is sort of the down and dirty business side of Disney, right? Like, and 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 really, the brilliance of the ride is that uh, they found a way to still make Song of the South marketable while not associating it with all of those bad, nasty, racist feelings that the movie kind of has as baggage, right? Like they've almost, if you look at it now, other than the fact that like, you know, these animated scenes, the Bray Rabbit scenes are are part of these Uncle Remus tales, uh, they're completely disassociated. Uh, And, you know, to your point earlier, it's like people growing up now would never know that they're even related to Song of the South. So from a marketing perspective, it's kind of brilliant because they can continue to make money off of this movie while still holding this sort of moral high ground of, you know, well, this movie is not appropriate for today's audience. And, you know, as Bob Iger would say, it's, it's offensive. So... Like I said, from a business perspective, it's almost like they're having it both ways. You know what I mean? There's that aspect to it. But just from the theme, why I think it is seen as troublesome and why people consistently have this reaction. Um, First of all, I, I find anyway, when you talk about Song of the South, specifically Splash Mountain within the context of Song of the South, people oftentimes... Uh, talk about it as if maybe they haven't seen Song of the South. And, I, I, you know, certainly like we've been saying, it hasn't had a home video release. I think it is on YouTube in some way, shape, or form, but you do have to hunt it out. But r- regardless, I mean, the the trouble with Song of the South and, and by extension, the trouble with Splash Mountain, maybe where it gets a little dicey, is that Song of the South is, is, is and specifically the Br'er Rabbit scenes, those animated scenes in Song of the South, which, you know, uh, Splash Mountain is completely based off of. It's an allegory for how freeing the slaves and being a free slave isn't necessarily as comfortable as living back on the plantation back in the old days, right? Like the idea of Br'er Rabbit going, uh, looking for the laughing place, finding the laughing place, realizing, eh, this isn't exactly what I really wanted. This is this is bad news, actually, in the laughing place. Uh, I'm going to go back to the briar patch. Like that's all an allegory of I'm a free slave now, man, look at all these troubles that I'm getting into and the kind of, uh, the, the, uh, the path that's now fraught with peril with that comes with this, this freedom. Maybe it's kind of nice to be back into this plantation setting in my comfort zone where I'm being looked after and taken care of, which is of course, a a very dangerous viewpoint, I guess, certainly within that context. So again, it's like, it is separated just in the sense that like if you were to look at it in a vacuum, but of course you can't necessarily um, fully do that. But but that's why it is seen oftentimes as troublesome. And, and certainly I think you and I even had kind of a conversation about this. Maybe the last time we were going down to Disneyland of just like, you know, taken in the context of the movie and this is this is to your point of like where it is kind of surprising. It's pretty insane that they do have that they took that allegory 
and made a full ride out of it. <laughs> and you as a writer are kind of like riding along this tale about how, well, maybe being a slave wasn't all as bad as everyone is making it out to be. Like, that's pretty insane, right? <laughs> the idea of a ride around yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, uh, I'm glad that they've made it so that you can... I don't know. Like you can enjoy the zippity doo dah song, but if you know where this has come from, still kind of blows the mind that they even would consider using something like that. And just the fact is when when they were even like uh building the ride, they weren't gonna release the movie on the video. So it's like right. uh, you know, it's just kinda like, well, we know this is bad. But we're still going to make the ride. Or more specifically, like, we're still, we're, uh, it's not bad enough to not make money off of it, <laughs> right? Yeah. That is a bit of an evil genius move from Disney. And, and you know, maybe that's not right. Certainly the uh, the kind of more socially aware side of me is, is feeling like, damn, that is, it's pretty crazy. And like I, you know, talking about this kind of moralizing around, Song of the South. It does feel like maybe, um, maybe they're not being straight up. It's not something that like I'm personally offended by as much as I'm like, man, that's a real shady move. You know what I mean? Like, it certainly I'm not like in an uproar about it. Uh, to be clear, I do not for a second think that Disney's actually going to uh, do this retheme. I think that they are super comfortable and locked in with uh, the fact that it is this Br'er Rabbit story. Yes, it has these connections. Yes, we're making money off of this uh, this movie franchise that's kind of been forgotten for the most part. Um, but, you know, it they've, they've put so much resources into, into, like I said, building up the IP. And so that takes us to that sort of third discussion point of just kind of people's natural hesitancy around it. Um, or just hesitancy of changing anything about it. And certainly, I think that's a feeling, especially when we're talking about beloved Disney rides, take even the fact that it's Splash Mountain or or anything about that. Um, and, and certainly, you know, there are plenty of instances where the idea of removing or, or doing major changes to a classic Disney attraction has come up. And certainly for a lot of Disney park diehards, you get that natural feeling of just like no change. You know what I mean? Don't you dare touch the submarines or don't you dare touch the Matterhorn or Peter Pan or Snow White or Mr. Toad, like any of those uh, kind of rides that are now deemed as classics, which I think Splash Mountain fall, even though it's, it's kind of more modern in that it's, I think it came out in 80, 89. Um, so it's a bit it's a bit more recent, but I mean it it is I would say at least in my opinion probably one of the most popular Disney rides certainly in California certainly in Florida and even certainly in Tokyo man like it is super popular there so I think there's there's just a lot of love and really a lot of nostalgia with it right that's that is completely separate from the theming you know what I mean like so. It, it makes it even more complicated that that natural hesitancy of of change uh, starts creeping into the picture. Yeah, I mean, yeah, especially, well, I'd say it's markably more 
more popular during the summer, but it's, yeah, I agree. It's definitely a, a super popular ride uh, at Disneyland. And, and unfortunately, yeah, it's, it's, it does not offend me. It's more like it more baffles me. It is like a very hard thing to, to separate the two, right? Yeah. You know, I don't know. It's, I wouldn't mind the uh, a a reimagining of the ride with the princess and the frog, but yeah, I highly doubt it's going to happen. But I almost feel like uh, Disney's kind of doing. I don't know if it's if it's wise for Disney to kind of just kind of disavow or not kind of acknowledge anything about it. Where like right. then it feels like they may be like trying to cover it up and you know. That's a very good point. So, I, I mean, it does, it makes the situation a little dicier or at least feel a little um, shadier in that it's not even that Disney has gone forward and say like, yeah, this is kind of like an offensive, darker part of our past. Is that they've kind of taken the eraser to it. And there are multiple examples of this, right? Like Dumbo, the Jim Crow scene. Yeah. They've completely they've completely removed that on Disney Plus. Uh, I think there are plenty of examples of movies or rides that they've. Oh, I'm sorry, movies or TV shows that they've either re-edited or blurred out parts or kind of obfuscated other sections of it to uh, to cover up things that, at least in today's view, would be maybe a little risque or maybe a little more offensive. So from my perspective, they should definitely not be doing that. Uh, it, I, I think put it all out there, man. Like, you know, it, a, a company that has been around for as long and has the kind of history that, uh, especially American history, that uh, the Walt Disney Company has, it only makes sense that you're going to have these kinds of blemishes that um, that maybe in the modern era uh, don't look as cuddly and friendly as the as the image that they're trying to put forward. Certainly for Walt Disney, certainly for just the company in general. Um, and so, I guess from their perspective, I can kind of see where maybe that's a um, you know that 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 conflicts with the image that they're trying to put forth, but. I mean, it's still like, just just put it out there. And, you know, they actually did a very good job of contextualizing all of this on Disney Treasures that came out on DVD in the late 90s, early, two, I, no, I want to say in the, in the 2000s. And so they had shorts, but then they also had um, kind of episodes of, of uh, Wonderful World of Color and Disneyland and just like a lot of old archival stuff that you normally don't see. And um, they did. A, they 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 covered a massive quantity of time, including a lot of the the propaganda that Disney and the animation company put forth during World War II. And uh, they they had Leonard Moulton as the host. But anytime you were about to see something or a short that was particularly uh, dicey by today's standards, he would just contextualize it and say like, hey, this is the reason for it being portrayed this way. And like, certainly it, it doesn't look great now. 
it was a little bit more acceptable in this time. And so he wasn't saying like, don't judge it as much as like, this is the lens. If you're trying to put it into proper historical context, this is the, this is the lens of which to view it. And, and certainly that could also be problematic for Song of the South for various different reasons. But it's sort of like, you know, to your point originally, it if you if you kind of shuffle it off to the side and sweep it under the rug, especially if you're still making money off of it in some way, it does make it look really shady and maybe not above board to uh, to not have that stuff out in the public. Yeah, I think there should be like I don't know, like um, maybe a they have a plaque up saying like giving kind of an explanation of of what Song of the South was about, and this is what it is. But you know, we at the you know Disney Company understand this, and we don't condone this and whatnot. There should be something talking about kind of the history of it, so that yeah, it's it's not like it's. They're just kind of like, yeah, please don't uh, notice that this, where this ride came from or some of the stuff that was in this ride. But yeah. <laughs> well, I wonder too, like part of me does feel in this kind of uh, this, this uh, perhaps overshadowing a lot of this, but it seems like every time that this conversation comes up, it maybe gets a little bit more momentum behind it. And again, it's certainly coming up because of, uh, you know, our current events and the social unrest that's going on. Um, and so there is a reexamination of a lot of aspects of our culture and certainly the products that we consume. And I do get the sense that Splash Mountain is one of those, I don't, I don't want to say relics, but it's one of those artifacts that probably it's 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 like if it's not now and it's not tomorrow uh and it's not next time that this comes up like i feel like it's just like there will be some point where you look back at it and you're just like you really legitimately are just the general consensus is man that's pretty crazy that 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 was a thing back then and so the so if we are to assume that that is the way that uh, things are going to go with it, you you do have to ask Disney, like, do you want to make the change proactively or do you want to be reacting to the general public, uh, 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 a majority of the general public having that sentiment of like, man, you should really change that and then make it feel like you're just legitimately behind on the times. Yeah. I don't know if you get that feeling too. Yeah, it's just something that I don't know. They're going to try and ignore it as long as possible. Uh, maybe waiting to see if it just like goes away. But uh, yeah, this is going to be one that if they do anything, it's not going to be proactive. It's going to be after they're kind of forced to try and acknowledge it. Yeah, I get that feeling too. <laughs> I, don't, I think it's not it's not going anywhere uh, for a bit. I don't think this uh, petition is going to have much of an effect. It's something that, like, if if they did get real real momentum on the on the petition, maybe they might consider doing something. I doubt that would be uh, reimagining the ride as Princess and the Frog, but I think they would try and do something else 
that would kind of address it. But I, I definitely think it would be wise for them to like do something before it kind of hits that like, oh, we have a petition and it hit that many signatures. I, I think because then, yeah, like I said, it, it just feels like they're just waiting. Like they're not going to do anything if they don't have to. And they're not going to like acknowledge it if they don't have to. And I think that's been kind of a lot of the problems that we're seeing is, is people not really like acknowledging these things. So it just comes up and because they, if they don't acknowledge it, it's going to come up again eventually. Yeah. And then it'll just feel it, 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 it will cheapen the action as, as right as that decision might be, it'll cheapen it. And so personally, I don't know if you agree with this. Like I like Splash Mountain. I don't have that level of nostalgia for Splash Mountain. Like it is not one of my favorite rides. Like I enjoy it. I like it. I think it's, I think it's kind of like a fun diversion, especially on a hot day. Um, but you know, it's not in my top five, may not even be in my top 10 Disney rides. I don't know. But, uh, but if they were to retheme it, I, I probably wouldn't care that much. I, that's just me speaking personally. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not in our top 10. It's not a must ride if we go. We've gone on it, and even in the summer, I, I we get so wet. And it feels like the when we've gone on it, it always feels like uh, the cast members are just have just made like we've made their day because they really like it's like they could put us into any like boat they could uh and instead they put us with the biggest people they can find so we get super wet so wet on that ride that it's it's actually at the point where it's not fun at that point because now you spend the rest of the day trying to dry out and um I mean, I guess if it was like crazy hot, maybe that'd be more acceptable, but I don't know. I always feel like the butt of the joke when I go on that ride. So yes, <laughs> I, I don't think I would, I would be upset if, if it got rethemed or and I, I don't know if it would make me want to ride it. It probably wouldn't make me want to ride it anymore, but. Yeah. I mean, I do. I think everything that I really enjoy about it is uh, a lot of it's in the technical execution because like for a flume ride, it is fantastic. It is a really enjoyable experience in general, but my enjoyment of the ride is not tied up in the theme, if that makes sense. Yeah, like, uh, yes, I agree. It, it is an excellent uh, flume ride and just water rides in, in general, it, it's it's perfectly executed uh it's yeah. just that it uh it, it, it isn't in i mean i and i do enjoy the zippity doodah but i think uh a lot of the stuff and i think even when i've gone through lately i think some of the like other parts of it were not working or, or not firing correctly so yeah so that's a problem on <laughs> Disneyland's version, certainly. <laughs> so it wasn't necessarily like 
you know, definitely my my fun is not based off of the the story elements, but I do appreciate, uh, of course, the the atmosphere uh, of it. Yeah. Well, yeah, man. So you may have already said this, but just to just to summarize, would uh, uh, retheme no retheme? Which uh, which camp are you in? I say retheme it. Just because it it needs work, <laughs> uh, and, plug, and basically because you know it to me it's not going to impact me whether I I write it or not. So I'd say it, if anything, the potential is there that I might like the ride more. But uh, at this point, I'd like to see. Uh, new stuff. <laughs> and and so do you think Disney's ever going to actually do that? No, I don't think he's ever going to do that. Yeah. All right. I'm I'm 100% agreement on uh on both points there. How about we get into uh into the latest and greatest news? Yeah, let's do this. Well, right before we stepped in to record this podcast, news had just broke that Hong Kong Disneyland will be reopening on June 18th. That's this week, man. That's such a quick notice for that. Yeah. They took a tip out of uh out of Universal's playbook. Yeah. Uh and so this will make it just the second Disney park to reopen, which is crazy to think about. We've been talking about all this news and and kind of updates around uh certainly Disney World opening and some of these other parks that uh that are primed to open. Uh, it feels like it feels like everything has been already open, but nope, just Shanghai so far. Uh, and and Shanghai opened way back on May 11th, so it's been a minute since we've had a Disney park reopening. So this should be should be something, man. Uh, and it's sounding like that updated Castle of Magic Dreams that we we were talking about recently uh, will be just about there when the park opens, and that the Explorer Lodge, which is the newest of the three hotels within that resort, will also be opening and accepting reservations when everything is good to go. Uh, and of course, those same set of standard health and safety procedures will be in effect. We've been talking about them uh, quite a bit with Disney World. We'll talk a little bit more. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about it uh, on the next story with Disneyland as well. But uh, at this point, I feel like we're pretty familiar. Uh, temperature checks, masks, uh, reservations, all that good stuff is going to be in effect. And so really, this being the smallest of the Disney locations, there's not a lot of park-specific info that they've been sharing. But how about it, Henry? Four Disney resorts down in terms of announcements, and only two more to go. How you feeling about things, man? We're moving. Well, we're moving, so I feel I feel good that that things are opening. Yeah, especially like with especially with Hong Kong Disneyland, which has been primed to open for a while now. Like I feel like maybe for the last month we've been seeing just like little slight updates in terms of like okay, now the temperature tents are up. Okay, now the social distancing is all set. Okay, now we're doing cast member previews. That was like two weeks ago. So it's been this like trickle of information. I, I honestly feel the same way about 
Tokyo Disney as well, where it's just this trickle of information and you're just waiting on the edge of your seat. You know that any day now there's going to be an announcement. So it's Hong Kong Disneyland's turn, which is good times. Uh, and, and we have a couple more that I'm sure will maybe by next week, we'll even have a little bit more info, but it certainly seems like that June, July timeframe is when really all of these parks are, are shooting to open. So, I mean, by, by end of July, it's sounding like everything has a good chance of, of being open again. Yeah. I think maybe Hong Kong was waiting to see how, uh, Shanghai did and, in any kind of information coming out from their opening so that they could maybe make sure that they're, they have everything in place that they need to have in place. Maybe they feel more uh, confident now in their opening, but yeah, it looks like July, you know, is going to be a, a good time for uh, park goers. Certainly, certainly here within the U.S., because the big news of the week is that Disneyland has finally announced their planned reopening dates for the Disneyland Resort. Assuming this plan gets approved, both Disneyland Park and Disney California Adventure will be welcoming guests back to the parks on July 17th, with, which just so happens to be the 65th anniversary of Walt Disney's original Magic Kingdom with Disneyland. How poetic is that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting that, I mean, it, it makes sense that they would try and do something special. <laughs> yeah, it'll be extra, extra meaningful. So there are a few other details that we do know about from this announcement. Uh, we know that Downtown Disney will be the first part of the resort to open on July 9th. Not sure of the exact scope of that opening, if everything is going to be back open or if we'll see a much slimmer selection of shops like we saw with Disney Springs. In that announcement, though, they uh, Disney does specifically call out World of Disney, so it's probably safe to assume that that store will be opened and that we won't see third-party stores open first, followed by... Uh, Disney stores a couple of days later, like we did see at Disney Springs. We also know that both Grand Californian and Paradise Pier hotels are scheduled to reopen for July 23rd. So that's one week after the parks. For some reason that Disney doesn't call out, the Disneyland Hotel won't be opening with everything else. It'll be opening at some later date. So you've kind of caught, at least in terms of Disney rates or Disneyland resort rates, we've certainly got the kind of top end of the food chain with the Grand Californian and bottom end of the food chain with Paradise Pier. And to put it into perspective, uh, bottom end of the food chain at Paradise Pier is still like $400 a night. So it's still not that cheap, but that is the the lower end option. Yeah, it's, <laughs> if it's Disney, you you're not getting uh, getting off cheap. Not not at the California parks anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when the parks do reopen, they'll be using that similar reservation system that we've seen implemented at Shanghai Disneyland and discussed at Walt Disney World. Disney has promised more details on the system soon, which is a good thing because we still have no idea how it's going to work when multiple parks are in play. Again, only one park at Shanghai Disney, so we have no idea how it's going to work. And if there will be park hopping, there are rumors that park hopping, at least at Disney World, 
has been suspended, but there has been no official word from Disney. It sounds like uh, there has been some element of communication, at least to travel agents, uh, that park hopping won't be allowed, though that could get a little bit messy, especially if you're someone that does hope to use a park hopping ticket that you had purchased previously that is still good for now. Uh, I don't know if you're going to be getting uh, any kind of refund for the difference. I, I kind of doubt it. Disney is usually pretty stingy when it comes to refunds like that, but I don't know. That'd be a bummer. Yeah, but... Especially at Disneyland, though, right? Because Disneyland, unlike Disney World, like the parks are right next to each other at Disneyland. Like, I feel like park hopping is part of that park experience with Disneyland Resort. Yeah, but I I will say that um, my wife and I always park hop, but uh, you can wind up not getting enough done if you try and park hop. It's actually more efficient to just do one park at a time but uh it's something that they've built into us you know you should you should do use a park hopper ticket you should get a park hopper ticket and yeah. now they're gonna have to say no you can't use a park hopper ticket so yeah it's <laughs> yeah and the, and the question i have or at least i've seen come up the most when it comes to park hopping certainly uh the question of if i already have a park hopping ticket how is that going to be handled that's a biggie i'm not sure about that but uh there's a lot of questions from annual pass holders who spent extra for that park hopping option um they're also asking does that mean that my park hopping extra fee gets refunded to me um, I think chances are so the way that it's been working in Shanghai Disneyland, and, and this also applies to the question of, you know, for, for annual pass holders who have chosen to have their passes extended, however many days the parks are closed. One of the big questions is as well, when does that clock restart? Like when do they decide when the park is officially reopened? So they have an end date for that extension again. Um, the way that it's been working in Shanghai Disneyland at least it sounds like they've communicated to annual pass holders that as long as this reservation system is in place, that that um, that the clock won't start ticking again until it's just back to being general admission. So, uh, so there's a potential that you know you could still get some reservations and it not be counted against you in terms of your overall uh, time frame for your 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 pass uh, being valid. That, well, I mean, that sounds good. I mean, if that's how it works here. <laughs> in a way, it seems like, at least in my mind, that is the only way that things are going to make sense if you are a a pass holder that uh, that is getting their ticket, ex that is getting their pass extended and maybe won't be able to go as much as they want to or would normally expect to because of this reservation system or a pass holder that paid extra to have this park hopping option and park hopping won't be allowed. It seems like you have two options with that. You either say, hey, the second that you get a reservation and scan into the park, your clock runs and sucker, sorry, you paid for park hopping and it's not available. Too bad. Uh, no, you know, it's nothing you can do about it. Uh, we don't have control over it either. Um, or they could just say, like, enjoy these extra few months of validity, which 
like I said, if you're trying to not create a stink in terms of your pass holder base, which at least at Disneyland is, is, a, is a lot of people, um, that it seems like that extension and giving a couple of grace months is perhaps the way to go. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, totally. I, I agree. Cause, uh, you know, if, cause we don't know, I, I mean, at this point, we definitely don't know how the reservation system is going to work and how limited it's going to be and what their like capacity is going to be set at. So yeah, as a, as a, a pass hold annual pass holder, who knows what your ability will be to actually have access to the parks. And definitely if you can't park hop and you paid for it, that's going to be something that you, because definitely those people who pay for it are going to want to park hop. And if you can't park hop, that's like, yeah, you should like refund that money. And, uh, but they're not going to want to, like you said. So that's probably the easiest for them to do is just to give them more grace months where maybe they'll still be able to get in. But at time is still going to be, probably limited just because of the reservation system. Yeah, it's true. And I mean, who knows how long this reservation system is going to be in place. It sounds like it very well could be in place for the remainder of the year, if not, if not longer. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it just sounds like everything we've heard about, uh, everything we've heard about what this experience is going to be. I mean, it, there's no way around the fact that it is a, much more limited experience than what your standard expectation for uh, a day at Disney is, right? I mean, we've got very limited character encounters. Sounds like we're going to have very limited restaurant openings. We're going to have very limited uh, both park and restaurant reservations. Uh, Parades and fireworks are are all on hold. Um, So, yeah. I mean, it's just like, again, this is the thing that I think of and I hear others mentioning is like, we're already going in recognizing that you're charging normal price for a stripped down experience. And and I think for many people, certainly if you're going, you already feel like it's worth it for the most part, but maybe maybe not so much for someone that's already prepaid. You know what I mean? Like, I, as a pass holder, I've already bought into that system. I've already bought in to a general agreement that like I've prepaid for for days whenever I can get a, a reservation through the Flex Pass or or whatever. And so now already what I would normally expect for the days that I have already paid for, um, that some of those elements that I would normally want aren't going to be there already. So it almost seems like, dude, we're already going in a little, a little on the rougher side of things. Um, so again, like maybe just be cool about it and <laughs> take the, take the like more lenient approach as opposed to the, like, try to grab those, those dollar bills any way you can. Yeah. I mean, the point you're saying is that uh, it's a limited experience and you're paying that full price for it 
you should make as many amends as possible to please those people because I think they're already going to have to deal with people like being upset because of not getting in through the reservation system more than likely. Yeah. It's going to be a cluster when that uh, when that reservation system comes out, especially since there are so many annual pass holders. So we'll see. I mean, it does. I've definitely heard of a fair amount of criticism targeted at Disney for the fact that um, they've been discussing this reservation system and we still don't have a lot of details around it. Um, not that they don't have a ton of time. I mean, again, both, it's a little bit more straightforward for Shanghai. It's a little bit more straightforward for Hong Kong because those are just single park resorts. Um, but you know, for, we've still got a few weeks for, uh, uh, Disney world, but still it's kind of like, guys, where are these details around this system? It, it's, uh, it's getting a little, we're, we're cutting it a little close here. Oh, yeah. And I mean, people are going to really people are going to also want as much information as possible so they can start. If they are wanting to go. They're going to want to start planning something that takes time to plan all this stuff and save up money. And so I'm I'm definitely very interested to find out what this reservation system is. But I imagine there's probably a lot of things that they need to iron out and whatever the app or program that they have going into it so hopefully they make all those yeah you have some good uh they have all the necessary like information in there so that uh it works flawlessly when you go through the process not not a system you're going to want to have an error or uh or have some issue with. oh no and so just a couple of remaining points so again same exact health and safety policies that are at every single other disney resort and uh and just like they did at disney world right after announcing uh the park opening dates uh they locked out anybody's ability to purchase new park tickets or make hotel reservations or purchase new annual passes or renew annual passes uh, so that's all been temporarily suspended for the time being. So if you already have a ticket, if you already have an annual pass, if you already have a hotel reservation, um, you're going to be prioritized in terms of that reservation system again, just like Disney World. So you uh, you'll should get some email at some point in the not too distant future uh, explaining what that process is gonna be. So um, so yeah, man, that is what it's looking like for Disneyland opening up here next month on the 17th of July. Um, of course, you know, we were talking a little bit about a change.org petition on Splash Mountain. I also saw another change.org petition that's floating around from cast members and locals in general saying that they are uh, opening. They feel like Disneyland is putting people at risk by opening up too soon, given the spike of uh, cases that that are starting to come in. So I think with this announcement, they're probably going to go forward unless there's some government entity that gets involved. But uh, but there is a little a little uh, a little diciness, I guess. Uh, there's there's been a, a spike of kind of unhappiness around that. I mean, it should be noted that uh, once things started to open up, people lost their minds and just went out and. We're kind of like, well, the the virus is gone, but 
it was not gone. And uh, I think it's still probably going to be okay to go in for them to open the park. Hopefully, by the time the park's open, people will have kind of come to their senses and realized we are still dealing with the this pandemic and that they uh, are using their better judgment and acting accordingly. Totally. And it, I mean, it is one of the benefits of it opening in July, right? At least the U.S. parks opening in July is that we will be, for better or worse, in a very different situation than we are right now. So that might totally benefit Disney in that uh, things have calmed down a little bit, or we could be in a very different, worse uh, position. And at that point, they'll at least have better information to make a call uh, of whether they're going to push things back or not before opening the gate. Certainly once people start coming in and rolling in and and that reopening has started, I think it's going to be a little bit harder to put the genie back in the bottle. But, you know, there was Disney was getting a lot of criticism for, for um, I don't know if it was criticism, there was there was chatter about like wondering why Disney was waiting as long as they were to open, especially with Universal opening in June and SeaWorld and Bush opening in June, uh, Legoland opening in June. For some reason, Disney's opening in July does give them a little bit of space to 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 test the waters and see how things are going before that starting flag. Is yeah, I think it's actually was a good move, especially looking at what's going on right now, because uh, like I think uh, opening up as soon as possible, you weren't sure like was there going to be a big uh, spike, and hopefully by the time like July rolls around, people have kind of settled down. They they understand that you know they need to still be mindful and they've had that work that eagerness out of their system and are now like thinking more clearly. Yep. So we'll see, see how that goes. But speaking of California theme parks reopening last week, we talked about how universal studios, Hollywood was looking to get things moving ASAP. Well, it, Seems like they weren't kidding around because with very little advertising, CityWalk just kind of opened up last Wednesday. Uh, so it was the same exact phase reopening that we saw at Orlando's CityWalk with eight total restaurants and three shops as part of this reopening. Still no word on when the actual park will reopen or even how much of a heads up Universal will give everyone beforehand because they seem to be in this zone of uh, of just these, these shadow drops of reopening dates. But again, it's the same same kind of health and safety that all of these other parks have experienced. So it's open. I read a few different day one reports. Obviously, Hollywood City Walk is a little bit more low-key than Orlando City Walk is. But I mean, it sounds like it was, uh, it, everything went pretty smoothly. Everything was, uh, was operating as you would expect in these kinds of conditions. It wasn't super packed or super crowded, plenty of social distancing markers. It seemed like maybe even more so than what was in Orlando. So maybe that was a little bit of an adjustment on Universal's part, but in general, totally sounds like it was an uneventful reopening, which, which is a good thing. Yeah. I mean, I like, uh, I'm, a big fan of actually Universal Hollywood's uh, City Walk. Uh, there's actually pretty good shopping there, and they have pinks. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm a 
I, I like their city walk, so I'm glad things went uh, uh, without issue. Yeah, and so I'm. I'm again Universal Hollywood, one of those parks that, uh, especially with Disneyland announcing their reopening date, probably not too long until we hear something from Hollywood as well. So any day now. So in addition to what we've already talked about going on in Orlando, we also had both SeaWorld Orlando and Busch Gardens Tampa open back up on the 11th. So a little bit more low-key of an event. There are, there are more low-key parks just in general. Uh, but again, same standard set of health and safety policies applied that we've seen at Universal. Though uh, I did see a few day one or just kind of general opening week timeframe reports from a couple of people. Tim Tracker in particular did both a SeaWorld and a, and a Bush Gardens video. He did not have great things to say about how well these new health and safety policies were being followed. Um, in general, he was saying that people, uh, at least after the temperature check right at the opening gate. He said that after that, pretty much even with the markers on the ground, nobody was socially distancing. He was saying as he was walking around on uh, just throughout the park that there were just tons of people rolling around without masks on as well. Um, and I think it was uh, another person that I was looking at, uh, super enthused. She was saying that um, she was saying that at SeaWorld, it was like it almost seemed like there were more people without masks than were, um, but that, but that you know you would see like entire families roll through with no masks on. Um, and I think it was, and I think Tim Tracker mentioned at least at Bush Gardens that there was a couple of instances where staff members were like walking by and reminded people to put on masks. And so those people did put on masks, but again, it's a situation uh, where, you know, there just aren't enough staff members. The staff members are at a reduced capacity now too. So there's no way that those staff members are going to be around where guests are at all times. Uh, he was also mentioning that like even on rides, for instance, that uh, as he was getting off of rides, people weren't paying attention to social distancing. So oftentimes you would have like a group of younger kids that were just like right up behind you. Um, and he wasn't a super big fan of that. So he said generally he felt unsafe. He also mentioned the fact that because of the reduced capacity, but also because of the way that they're running their rides and roller coasters where they are only filling up half of the, the car for the most part, if not, if not less than that, it almost seemed like the way that they were loading it, it was every other row, but there were at least a couple of spaces of seats empty in between each group. So, I mean, that probably is like, what, a third full maybe? Um, so because of that, and then also the cleaning regime that they were using at both Bush and uh, and at SeaWorld, especially for the coasters, was that it was like every so often, I forget how many, what the interval was, but it was like every, you know, like 20 to 30 minutes or something like that, they would completely disinfect and spray down the entire ride vehicle and then run the ride vehicle around the uh, around the track once empty 
to not only dry it, but also give it extra time to disinfect. Um, so he said generally that was great and that he felt really good about that, but that it added a ton of time for each, uh, for, for your overall queue waiting time. So he was, he was saying it was probably around 30 to 45 minutes for the most part for each ride. And that's at this reduced capacity. So, uh, long story short, he was saying he would not recommend going to either of those parks right now, um, and that he felt much better and safer at Universal when he went. That was also something echoed by Jackie at Super Enthused. She felt much better about uh, Universal, uh, the Universal parks than she did about uh, her time at SeaWorld. So yeah, it sounds like those parks in particular are having some issues keeping everybody following the rules. Uh, I would totally admit I'm after hearing that I am a, a very firm no on either of those parks right now as well. That's kind of my, my fear of it's like your worst nightmare, right? Yeah. I mean, this is, this has been, uh, this is my fear is that kids are going to be kids and kids. I don't think really a lot of kids I'm sure don't, even if they're they're really smart, they don't necessarily have the idea of what they're doing, and uh, I mean they they don't mean anything of it. Now it, it falls on the parents to kind of like bring them in, and there's just some parents who just don't don't care, and they haven't really impressed it upon their kids to do this and they they basically they really are putting not just their kids at risk but other people at risk so um you know this is this is where the uh employees have to step in and make sure that you know that it's impressed upon the guests to do this and if they don't feel empowered to do this or there's not enough of them you know it's just going to be chaos and and people aren't going to feel safe so this is something that has concerned me for sure and i'm sure it really concerns you as well uh that yeah. uh, you know but i imagine universal and um and uh and disneyland or disney have there's so much higher profile like you know in the public side that they have to be minding their p's and q's but at these smaller uh uh amusement parks can can run well though this is a risk you run going to these little smaller parks unfortunately uh is that right you know they aren't gonna be as safe as these bigger parks well it's like it, it the thought is there certainly the policy is in place and like we were saying it sounded like when a staff member was confronted with a uh, a park goer that didn't have a mask on that they did proactively tell them hey man you got to put your mask on so it legitimately sounds like that maybe a they're not doing the park isn't doing a good enough job of hammering it into guests that they need to be doing it but you know they also and I mean, this kind of goes to what you're, you were saying earlier. It's just like people show up thinking it's just a normal park day and so behaving that way, right? 
and it may not even necessarily be that they're trying, it's like a malicious act or that they're purposefully being assholes about it as much as it's just like they're in standard park mode. And when you're in standard park mode, when you're getting off of like a super adrenaline pumping roller coaster, you're pretty excited. You're pretty fired up. You're not thinking about the fact that the person in front of you is closer than six feet or that you need to properly social distance or that you need to ensure that your mask is immediately put back on after getting off a water ride. It's just like certain things like that that you're not thinking of. And so that's where it's just like they need to have staff at whatever those choke points are or they just need to hire, bring back more staff or whatever because, uh, I mean, that's, it's not good. I mean, and it really will affect their business and and maybe not now when they're so limited in terms of what they're, who they're allowing, the amount of people that they're allowing in the gates anyway. But certainly once they start bringing on more people and they start opening up more, it's going to be a major problem if, uh, if they're not doing a better job of enforcing that. Yeah. And, and I think something to, to also be of note is that, you know, kids are kids and being at a theme park and having been like so, uh, so uh, cooped up for so long with this uh, shelter in place, they are going to just kind of lose their minds because they're at a theme park and it's harder for kids to think of like, you know, compartmentalize like where they're at. They just, they think they're at, they know they're at a theme park and we're here to have fun. And so they, they do want to have fun and, and you want them to have fun, but it's, it's one of those things that needs to be impressed upon them and upon the parents that, this is still, we're still very much in the pandemic. I think they basically, they probably needed to have more staff on hand. And, and like you said, they needed to have more impress upon uh, the guests that they need to do, be maintaining this, uh, the social distancing and their masks. Basically you're putting somebody else's life at risk. And I think that needs to be impressed upon everybody at these parks this is this has been my fear is what they basically kind of laid out (laughs) yeah man Uh, all i know for me is like i uh uh bush was on my potential list for uh september when i'm when i'm in orlando at the beginning of september and uh right now it doesn't sound like I'll, i'll be stopping off there unless there's some major changes and updates from people on the ground there that say like they've gotten their stuff together but right now it sounds like it's a it's a pretty firm skip for me yeah, I'm not. I'm not surprised. I mean, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, like like I said, this is something I kind of predicted would would happen. Plus, I think I mean more than likely these uh, other parks didn't do soft openings, or they may yeah. have just like, hey, we're open, and then just open the floodgates. I mean, even regardless of whether they put stuff into place they didn't like really test it out beforehand more likely so they didn't know where the holes were in their systems or in their processes so now they have to do everything on the fly hopefully they do for everybody else's sakes they do like you know wind up uh implementing and bringing on more staff and in fixing these 
processes and procedures because a lot of people are going to get sick otherwise. Yeah, man. Well, your ability to call this is why we uh, call you Henry Domus, the theme park seer. So uh, <laughs> this is just very... This is just very on brand for you, Henry. Good call. <laughs> uh, well, this is one of those situations where uh, I wish I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. That's very, very dramatic. I like it. Um, so bouncing around back to Disney World, we're a little less than four weeks away from their reopening, and we're starting to get a few additional details trickling in for resort hotels. One of the big questions still out there was what exactly the plan was for both the Swan and the Dolphin, both properties which are located within Walt Disney World but operated by Marriott, announced recently that they would only be taking reservations for July 29th and beyond. This seemed a little strange, especially since uh, this is a couple of weeks after the parks reopen, so you would think that they would want to capitalize on that. But we now know that the reason for this is because Major League Soccer will be using these properties to house players for the upcoming MLS's back tournament being run out of the ESPN Wide World of Sports Complex. So between the NBA and now the MLS, it's looking like five hotels are going to be blocked off when the parks open. So uh, there's definitely going to be a lot of, of sports, professional sports action going on uh, over in that corner of the park. Yeah, well, at least now sports are, are going. So I think people will be happy for that and suffer for not having those two, those hotels available to them. Yeah, really. I mean, it uh, it'll be interesting. So it sounds like uh, the for people that had either those hotels or um, because they've limited the amount of hotels that are going to be open during that opening, uh, during that opening week. What is it? I think they said like for the opening couple of weeks, I forget the exact time frame, but that initial group of hotels that are going to be opening, um, it's a pretty limited group. And so if you did have it, if you did have a reservation at some other hotel that won't be open, they're just automatically swapping you to a different hotel. It doesn't sound like you have much say, unfortunately. So, uh, so we'll just have to see about how long that goes, and if maybe we start to see more hotels uh, come online as as things start opening up more, and once we start getting into that uh, post MLS. Uh, uh, a period and start getting into August, but we'll see. Uh, so now if you are planning on hitting up Disney World or any of these Florida theme parks, really, and you're from the New York tri-state area, we've got some bad news for you. As part of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis's opening plan, anyone traveling from this area of the country must self-quarantine for 14 days after arrival. This order was supposed to expire on July 7th, but the Florida Department of Health just announced that it would be extended indefinitely. So if you are visiting from that part of the country, plan a two-week buffer beforehand, man. That's pretty brutal. That is brutal. Uh, but I mean eh, they're trying to keep brutal. they're trying to lock it down, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty brutal though. 
doing what they got to do, man. And uh, and wrapping uh, wrapping up at Disney World, WDW News Today is reporting that a new contactless security and bag check system is being tested at Disney Springs. The company video that is linked to in their article has some strong Skynet vibes in it, man. I don't know if you watched it, but uh, definitely, uh, definitely had me feeling like, you know, it's like AI can automatically pick up exactly what the weapon is and where it is on the individual person. And it looked like it, that what they were showing looked like a scene out of like Total Recall. So definitely some some solid 80s sci-fi action vibes there. But the way that they described their firsthand experience uh, when they went through it at Disney Springs, um, it sounded like there were two different security check stations. The first one was where you walked through this new system and placed any personal items that you had in kind of that general TSA-style basket uh, and then walked through. If you didn't have a large bag and if nothing kind of was set off, then you just grab your personal stuff on the other side and move about your way. You do have a larger bag. It sounds like there is a secondary station that you have to go to where they do a kind of manual search uh, by hand, just kind of like the standard bag search that is in place now. So that's kind of my nightmare, but <laughs> regardless. So it sounds like that at least is still happening. Um, but they did call out that it didn't look like the baskets that were for personal items were being sanitized between different guests putting their stuff in there. So hopefully that's just a, uh, that's just kind of an oversight or a temporary uh, issue that is going to be resolved. But, um, but yeah, man, it uh, sounds almost a little like what Disneyland Paris does where you walk through a metal detector and you put your bag through just kind of like, it really looks like a standard TSA kind of x-ray uh, conveyor belt. And so your bag goes through, you walk through, if nothing is set off, then you just keep on moving. So you don't have to sit and get everything looked at by hand. So I personally really liked it. I always roll in there with a bag that has a bunch of stuff in it, a couple of different cameras. So I always have people asking me about cameras and making sure that my uh, my grip that I use for my cameras doesn't extend and da 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 da. And it always is a bit of a hassle. It's a, it's it's not too bad, but going just just kind of blazing through in uh, in Disneyland Paris was awesome. So if it's anything like that, I'm all for it. But does that does that make you feel any safer, Henry? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, uh, bag checks are always an annoyance and the faster it goes, the better. So I, I just don't need them to like confuse something on me as, as being like a weapon or something like that. So, um, I mean, but yeah, the faster I get through, the better. I hate having to like pull out everything. I mean, I've literally have gotten to the point where when I go to uh, the parks, I put, uh, I use like sandwich bags to put like my change or anything like that <laughs> in so that yeah. like when I have to like pull it out, it's, it's a, a quicker uh, affair. Cause you know, well, you got to pull out your change in your wallet. Then, I mean, it also helps on uh, water rides. So, like, my wallet doesn't get wet. But uh, right, you're prepared, still, man. Hey, man, uh, been going through this stuff enough. You know, I should be. 
at this point. But uh, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, I'm not a big fan of, like, I was always the one that they chose before they did the, uh, everybody had to do, go through the metal detector. I was always one of the few that got chosen to go through the metal detector. So... I think they have a term for that. Isn't that, isn't that called profiling? Yes, <laughs> definitely. Definitely profiling. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm totally with you. If it's like, if it's like that it speeds up the process, it's great. Like I said, if, uh, if someone is going through my bag by hand, uh, in this day and age with coronavirus, man, I feel like they're not swapping out gloves after each time, which I'll bet they aren't. I'll, uh, would be If they are, then I would definitely feel better about it. If I would see the person put on a fresh pair of gloves before they start digging through my bag, then, um, then maybe I won't be as squeamish about it. But if they're just rummaging around through bags and then oh, every like 10 people they're swapping out gloves, it doesn't make me feel so great, dude. No. And you're probably right. They probably aren't changing the gloves for everybody um and that's just an, a, a risk that we are having to take <laughs> whether they uh, have come into contact with somebody who's coronavirus <laughs> yeah yeah man so so no good we'll see hopefully that uh hopefully that doesn't end up being the case and maybe they just use like a tsa style uh conveyor belt or something i would feel a little bit better of that but I guess we'll see. There's plenty of time, and definitely it sounds like, if nothing else, that they are focused on this security experience to maybe make it a little less hands-on. So that's at least headed in the right direction. And also making it faster and everything. Cause, yeah. Because one of the, one of the you know, of course, one of the fears you're going to have is, is, you know, people are so anxious to get in the park, you know, are they going to be bunching up because in right. line and stuff? Totally. And so the quicker they get through the line, the better. Yeah. The less choke points, the better for sure. Yeah. Very true. Uh, well, uh, I just mentioned Paris a little bit earlier, but speaking of Paris, both Disneyland Paris and Universal Orlando sound like they're posting auditions for the upcoming Halloween season. We still don't have a firm reopen date for Disneyland Paris and no real word yet from Universal on what their plan for Halloween Horror Nights is actually going to be. But it definitely does seem like everything is still moving forward, especially interesting, though with this posting uh, from Universal Orlando is that these, uh, they're internal auditions, but they're for haunted house and street performing actors. So one of the big questions we had when thinking about Universal Halloween Horror Nights was just the challenge of, uh, of, of building out haunted houses, which just kind of by their nature, are enclosed spaces uh, where everyone is kind of tight next to each other, moving through this kind of dark space with people jumping out at you, and you're you're physically screaming, right? You have a lot of people screaming, so uh, so definitely a bit of a germ haven. So that's an interesting one. It does sound like 
they have some plan for for haunted houses and and even like the scare zones that they usually have where they have like actors that are roaming around through crowds um have to imagine that there's going to be some modification to the way that they're doing both of those uh but i mean i already know that you are, are the biggest fan of haunted houses just in general so i know that you're going to be there <laughs> I'll I'll pass. Hard pass. <laughs> Last thing I need is is to go into a haunted house and have like a whole bunch of people like bunching up and trying to hide uh from from monsters or whatever from pe- other from the actors behind me or just trying to get away from them and running into me so <laughs> Or have have an actor trying to scare me. So instead of like like just doing the scare and then going on their way, they try and like eye me down, and it's like, yeah, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> so so I'll I'll pass. <laughs> you go into the haunted house with uh, your dignity. You come out with coronavirus. Yeah, <laughs> just what you're looking for. As it is, going into a haunted house, knowing the coronavirus is out there, is scary enough as it is. I mean, <laughs> so, yeah. uh, I mean, that's, it's just, but that being said, the idea that Disney, Par- Disneyland Paris is, is doing auditions for the holiday season does make me uh, happy because that's, of course, means uh, pretty much their, uh, more than likely Disneyland will do the same. It's true that that is the first Disney park to really have some kind of, I mean, I guess it's not them coming out saying that this is what we're doing. It's an internal memo, but it is like the first real acknowledgement that we have that like holiday seasons, be be they uh, Halloween or, you know, Christmas time, they're moving forward. So that that that's good progress. Yes. One of the coolest Halloween time experiences at a Disney park is actually at Hong Kong Disneyland because usually at the other Disney parks they're they're a bit more kid friendly. Um that's not the case for whatever reason. I don't know why, but at Hong Kong Disneyland, they really ratcheted it up, man. Like it's definitely more sort of uh, older teen kind of focused where it really is. It's not like it's not like gore or it's not like uh, like a universal, you know, like really over the top experience, but. They're definitely like really like horror versions of a lot of their characters. Um, and they do haunted houses. Like it's like a legit style haunted houses where they try to like freak you out as a guest. Uh, it's definitely more like creepy than scary, but they're legitimately like haunted houses that you would never expect at a Disney park. If uh if you if you want to get a good sense of kind of the tone that they go for go to youtube and look at i think you could probably just search halloween time hong kong disneyland and they have a they they have a couple of commercials over the years for um for the experiences and they're legit man like it 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 makes you a little disappointed that they don't do the same thing here in the u.s hmm that's interesting it's just it's like different and like i said it was almost 
just because at least when I think of Halloween time uh, or holiday time, I always think like, you know, very much targeted towards younger kids, especially Halloween anyway. Not that it's not that it's kiddie, but, you know, like they really push family friendly. And uh, it was just, uh, I mean, refreshing is the word that comes to mind. Uh, it was refreshing just in being different that it was a very different take on it. Um, so yeah, I dude again, look that up when we're done with this, because I'd be very curious to hear kind of your thoughts on it. And if you agree that you would like to see more, uh, more of that kind of tone in the U S uh, and finally wrapping things up at universal soon to be newest theme park, universal Beijing, the resort, which is still on schedule to open sometime in 2021, surprisingly, uh, just dropped some new details and concept art for their upcoming City Walk. It should include 24 venues overall, including 15 dining spots, eight retail stores, and an 11 screen IMAX theater. A view, uh, a few of the highlights that were included were that. Uh, a bunch of Orlando favorites like Red Oven Pizza Bakery, Cowfish Sushi Burger Bar, and the Toothsome Chocolate Emporium will all be making their international debut, supposedly for that Toothsome Chocolate Emporium. It'll be the largest emporium uh, in the world. Uh, and then those will be mixed in with a selection of local restaurant brands as well. So that's not necessarily the flashiest of updates, but I did want to include it. Because with all of this rush of domestic theme park news that we've had lately, it's just, at least for me anyway, Henry, super easy to forget that we have another major theme park right around the corner, man. 2021, not that far away. We're getting some like really legit details on this. I'm sure we're going to get some some more trickle out as time goes on, but uh, but I'm still pretty excited for Universal Beijing. It sounds like it's really shaping up to be something. Oh yeah, I'm sure it's going to be, you know, a new a new theme park opening, particularly one of the from one of the biggies, uh, Universals or or Disney are are something to to look forward to for sure. I was a little bit surprised that there was no Voodoo Donut. That seems like that is a miss. I am kind of surprised at that one too because that has been kind of one of their their big ones as of late. I wonder, man. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, we were just talking about, this was a few weeks ago when we were talking about um, Epic Universe. I guess that was before it it had been delayed because of all of this. and But just sort of what that experience is going to be, um, it sounds like this is going to be at that level as well. I mean, it is a, it's a studios park, so at least they're a little more, Limited's not the right word, but they really are focused on that kind of Universal Studios experience. So certainly Wizarding Wizarding World of Harry Potter is going to be there. Uh, You know, we're going to have Jurassic Park is going to be there. So just like the stalwarts of of what you would expect at a Universal Park are going to be there. Um, uh, Transformers are going to have their own land. But then we do have these, you know, completely brand new lands like... Waterworld, like a whole land dedicated to Waterworld, which uh, which should be something, man. That I think that probably is, you know, if I'm looking at upcoming 
questions in terms of like what certain experiences are going to even be looking into the near future. I think the the water world land experience is probably the one that I'm most curious about. Yeah, because I mean, there's only been the one movie and it really didn't have a lot like outside of that one atoll that they spent most of the time on they had that atoll and they had the ship the the big freighter and that was pretty much it as far as and that and a lot of water so they they can they have a lot of like liberties they can take with that uh i'm also interested in what uh transformers land looks like but i imagine it's going to be the bay formers but uh they've been Guaranteed it's going to be the Bay Formers. But the Bay Formers have been pretty uh, popular in uh, in Asia and countries. So, uh, well, didn't take, one of those movies take place in some part of China? Yeah, uh, Age of Extinction took place in uh, a part of it took place in uh, Hong Kong. Uh, but well, that there was, you go. yeah. I mean, it was. They basically found out after uh, the was it the uh, dark of the moon that they uh, uh, that the Chinese really liked it because they had uh, a reference to uh, like I think it was called Fuqua milk or something like that. It was a popular drink in uh, China, and just okay. that one reference was like, oh, it's crazy. So, <laughs> <laughs> so then they they said, well. They they love that part. Let's put part of the movie in uh, in Hong Kong and see how well that does. And it did even better. So it was like I think it was even like co financed by uh, was it Tencent or one of those Chinese companies. So yeah, I mean it it makes sense that uh, that a franchise like that that has such close ties to to China would be well represented. So yeah, I think that's I think that's probably a uh, a slam dunk. I think it'll be also interesting to think about like what, how many rides and experiences each land is actually going to have. You know, are they going to be like really stuffed with experiences or is it going to be kind of like the, the new Disneyland kind of model where, you know, when a new land opens, there's maybe one experience that that opens with it, with the idea that, like, you know, maybe it'll also have a, a kind of a very um, kind of like a walkthrough attraction in it, too, so that there's other stuff to do. But really, it's like one land per ride. That was like, uh, you know, Hong Kong Disneyland is like that, where really, at least at least the newer lands like uh, Mystic Point really only has uh, Mystic Manor with it. And there is kind of like a walkthrough attraction where you're kind of like going through uh, the gardens of Mystic Manor, which is like some cool stuff, but it's not really not really a ride. Similarly, um, what is it? Grizzly Gulch has the uh, big Grizzly Mountain runaway mine cars, which is kind of the ride for the area. But then they kind of have like a little play area as well. So, you know, I'm interested if that's going to be the case. I think that was the case with Shanghai Disneyland's like that too. There's like, you know, one ride per land basically. So it seems like maybe that's the way that this is going to be when they open. And then 
room for expansion. I don't know. We'll find uh, out. Yeah. I mean, wonder if they're going to have shows. Oh, they'll de- I'm, I guarantee they're definitely going to have shows yeah. for sure. Yeah. What do you think the chances are that we will get the Waterworld show within Waterworld land? <laughs> I, I think that's a, a good, a good chance of that. Near 100, right? Yeah. You think it's going to be plussed up at all, or is it just going to be like straight up, just copy paste? I think it'll be plussed up a little bit. I I mean, I don't know how popular, like I've never like sat down and looked at, and, and I mean, the time of when uh, Waterworld came out, I, you know, the internet was not as big or whatnot. So right. I don't know exactly like how popular Waterworld was in China. Uh, it, it probably <laughs> must have been some some form of popular to 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 actually have a sh- you know a land in Waterworld. So I mean a land in their their park. So I think it might be more of a case though where. The popularity of the Waterworld stunt show at Universal Hollywood in Orlando uh, completely outpaced the popularity of the movie and became like, you know, such a such a uh, a stalwart and notorious kind of attraction at those parks that the idea of that that it almost like comes along for the ride, you know what I mean? Like, you think about what are those what are those classic Disney attractions that whenever you open a Disney park, like you've got to open it with it. So like Peter Pan's one of those rides. Like Waterworld is one of it, it. It is Universal's Peter Pan. Yeah, well, I'll have to admit, before I saw the Waterworld show at uh, at uh, Hollywood uh, Universal's, I never saw the movie after seeing the stunt show i was very interested in seeing the movie and i wouldn't watch the movie <laughs> after that so uh yeah i could see, i mean i could see that um it is one of those things that uh i mean i always make sure we always make sure to see the uh the water world stunt show whenever we go to uh universal's hollywood so yeah, it, it is also one of those things that, like, if you haven't been, because I, uh, there's definitely a time that I used to go to Universal, and then I just kind of stopped. Like, you know, it was, that park was pretty stagnant for a while. Oh, yeah. Just until, like, you know, you had uh, Harry Potter start showing up. But, uh, um, and I guess Simpsons Ride. Simpsons Ride was probably when things started moving. But regardless, it was kind of like one of those attractions that I would talk to someone that's been and they would mention they would mention the Waterworld stunt show and I'd be like, really? That's still a thing there? It was like, oh yeah, it is amazing and it's popular as ever. It's like, yeah, no, but it's been there forever. So yeah, I mean I think it's it's just it's carved its place into uh into that Universal Studios Hall of Fame and it's it's just not going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I've ever been to the stunt show, and it's never been, like, packed. So, right. I mean, you know, and this is an I – mean, I always go in off-peak, so – and I think one thing that's interesting with uh, Universal's uh, Hollywood is that 
they have a lot of foreign tourists and uh, whenever I go see the show, there's always a huge group of like foreign uh, tourists watching it. So, it, I mean, it's definitely like got a very big following, not just here, but uh, apparently abroad as well. The real question in my mind is when Universal Beijing opens, especially the Waterworld Land opens, I, I expect there won't be like a separate opening for it. It'll be that initial opening day kind of celebration. Will Kevin Costner be there to cut the rope, cut the <laughs> ribbon? I highly doubt it. <laughs> that seems like a missed opportunity for me. You think you think he's invited or he's just not showing up? I think he's just not showing up. <laughs> Dude, you'd think like, you know, he that history behind that movie and how much money he spent on it and had such high hopes for it. It's like, dude, it might be like, you know, 20 years later, but uh but like it's coming true, man. Your dream. It's finally happening. You'd think he'd be getting behind it, but I maybe not. You're probably right. That would be incredible though, right? Like Kevin Costner, you know, opening it the same way that like Galaxy's Edge opened with all of the uh the original crew there. Just like Kevin Costner, in my mind anyway, and in my dream, he would be in full uh outfit. He'd be ready to roll, man. Just full water world appropriate like outfit yeah that i highly doubt i mean he's too busy uh doing yellowstone to <laughs> to, <laughs> to like go and open up uh a water world show i think maybe if it had opened up sooner like like right after the movie came out yeah totally would have been there but at this point i don't know what his feelings are on that movie as it is because i'm pretty sure he got panned for that uh movie so uh i think i mean he definitely did but i think this is his victory lap man i think we've got to get this campaign going because <laughs> i mean he did the, the water world and then uh, then like not too long after that he did the postman which Felt like the same movie for the most part. Uh, that was a rough patch. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think it's probably at this point something he would rather uh, forget. So what you're saying, Henry, is that this is just going to have to stay in my dreams along with everything else. Yeah. <sighs> well, that just about does it for today. Remember, you can catch The Great Park Hop each and every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite podcast service just so happens to be. As always, if you like what you hear and want us to keep making content just like this, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, or hit that like button. This has been episode 20 of The Great Park Hop, and we'll catch you next week. Stay healthy, everybody. Henry, you take care, big guy. We'll talk soon. Yeah, you too, man. Bye.